Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. Plato's Republic, Book 3, Part 4 All right, then what's the next thing we have to determine? Isn't it which of these same people will rule and which be ruled? Of course. Now, isn't it obvious that the rulers must be older and the ruled younger? Yes, it is. And mustn't the rulers also be the best of them? That, too. And aren't the best farmers the ones who are best at farming? Yes. Then as the rulers must be the best of the guardians, mustn't they be the ones who are best at guarding the city? Yes. Then, in the first place, mustn't they be knowledgeable and capable, and mustn't they care for the city? That's right. Now one cares most for what one loves, necessarily. And someone loves something most of all when he believes that the same things are advantageous to it as to himself, and supposes that if it does well, he'll do well, and that if it does badly, then he'll do badly too. That's right. Then we must choose from among our guardians those men who, upon examination, seem most of all to believe throughout their lives that they must eagerly pursue what is advantageous to the city, and be wholly unwilling to do the opposite. Such people would be suitable for the job at any rate. I think we must observe them, at all ages, to see whether they are guardians of this conviction, and make sure that neither compulsion nor magic spells will get them to discard or forget their belief that they must do what is best for the city. What do you mean by discarding? I'll tell you. I think the discarding of a belief is either voluntary or involuntary. Voluntary when one learns that the belief is false. Involuntary in the case of all true beliefs. I understand voluntary discarding, but not involuntary. What's that? Don't you know that people are voluntarily deprived of bad things, but involuntarily deprived of good ones? And isn't being deceived about the truth a bad thing, while possessing the truth is good? Or don't you think that to believe the things that are is to possess the truth? That's right, and I do think that people are involuntarily deprived of true opinions. But can't they also be deprived by theft, magic spells, and compulsion? Now I don't understand again. I'm afraid I must be talking like a tragic poet. By the victims of theft, I mean those who are persuaded to change their minds, or those who forget, because time, in the latter case, and argument, in the former, takes away their opinions without their realizing it. Do you understand now? Yes. By the compelled, I mean those whom pain or suffering causes to change their mind. I understand that, and you're right. The victims of magic, I think you'd agree, are those who change their mind because they are under the spell of pleasure or fear. It seems to me that everything that deceives does so by casting a spell. Then, as I said just now, we must find out who are the best guardians of their conviction that they must always do what they believe to be best for the city. We must keep them under observation from childhood and set them tasks that are most likely to make them forget such a conviction or be deceived out of it. And we must select whoever keeps on remembering it and isn't easily deceived and reject the others. Do you agree? Yes. And we must subject them to labors, pains, and contests in which we can watch for these traits. That's right. Then we must also set up a competition for the third way in which people are deprived of their convictions, namely magic. 
Like those who lead colts into noise and tumult to see if they are afraid, we must expose our young people to fears and pleasures, testing them more thoroughly than gold is tested by fire. If someone is hard to put under a spell, is apparently gracious in everything, is a good guardian of himself and the music and poetry he has learned, and if he always shows himself to be rhythmical and harmonious, then he is the best person both for himself and for the city. Anyone who is tested in this way as a child, youth, and adult, and always comes out of it untainted, is to be made a ruler as well as a guardian. He is to be honored in life and to receive after his death the most prized tombs and memorials. But anyone who fails to prove himself in this way is to be rejected. It also seems to me, Glaucon, that rulers and guardians must be selected and appointed in some such way as this, though we've provided only a general pattern and not the exact details. It also seems to me that they must be selected in this sort of way. Then isn't it truly most correct to call these people complete guardians, since they will guard against external enemies and internal friends, so that the one will lack the power and the other the desire to harm the city. The young people we've hitherto called guardians we'll now call auxiliaries and supporters of the guardians' convictions. I agree. How, then, could we devise one of those useful falsehoods we were talking about a while ago? One noble falsehood that would, in the best case, persuade even the rulers. But if that's not possible, then the others in the city. What sort of falsehood? Nothing new, but a Phoenician story which describes something that has happened in many places. At least, that's what the poets say. And they've persuaded many people to believe it, too. It hasn't happened among us, and I don't even know if it could. It would certainly take a lot of persuasion to get people to believe it. You seem hesitant to tell the story. When you hear it, you'll realize that I have every reason to hesitate. Speak, and don't be afraid. I'll tell it, then, though I don't know what I'll get the audacity or even what words I'll use. I'll first try to persuade the rulers, and the soldiers, and then the rest of the city, that the upbringing and the education we gave them, and the experiences that went with them, were a sort of dream. That, in fact, they themselves, their weapons and the other craftsmen's tools were at that time really being fashioned and nurtured inside the earth, and that when the work was completed, the earth, who is their mother, delivered all of them up into the world. Therefore, if anyone attacks the land in which they live, they must plan on its behalf and defend it as their mother and nurse and think of the other citizens as their earth-born brothers. Whew! It isn't for nothing that you are so shy about telling your falsehood. Appropriately so. Nevertheless, listen to the rest of the story. All of you in the city are brothers, we'll say to them in telling our story. But the God who made you mixed some gold into those who are adequately equipped to rule, because they are the most valuable. He put silver in those who are auxiliaries, and iron and bronze in the farmers and other craftsmen. For the most part, you will produce children like yourselves. But, because you are all related, a silver child will occasionally be born from a golden parent, and vice versa, and all the others from each other. So the first and most important command from the god to the rulers is that there is nothing that they must guard better or watch more carefully than the mixture of metals in the souls of the next generation. If an offspring of theirs should be found to have a mixture of iron or bronze, 
They must not pity him in any way, but give him the rank appropriate to his nature, and drive him out to join the craftsmen and farmers. But if an offspring of these people is found to have a mixture of gold or silver, they will honor him, and take him up to join the guardians or the auxiliaries. For there is an oracle which says that the city will be ruined if it ever has an iron or bronze guardian. So, do you have any device that will make our citizens believe this story? I can't see any way to make them believe it themselves, but perhaps there is one in the case of their sons and later generations, and all the other people who come after them. I understand pretty much what you mean, but even that would help to make them care more for the city and each other. However, let's leave this matter wherever tradition takes it, and let's now arm our earthborn and lead them forth with their rulers in charge. And as they march, let them look for the best place in the city to have their camp, a site from which they can most easily control those within, if anyone is unwilling to obey the laws, or repel any outside enemy who comes like a wolf upon the flock. And when they have established their camp, and made the requisite sacrifices, they must see to their sleeping quarters. What do you say? I agree. And won't these quarters protect them adequately both in winter and summer? Of course, for it seems to me that you mean their housing. Yes, but housing for soldiers, not for money-makers. How do you mean to distinguish these from one another? I'll try to tell you. The most terrible and most shameful thing of all is for a shepherd to rear dogs as auxiliaries to help him with his flocks in such a way that, through licentiousness, hunger, or some other bad trait of character, they do evil to the sheep and become like wolves instead of dogs. That's certainly a terrible thing. Isn't it necessary, therefore, to guard in every way against our auxiliaries doing anything like that to the citizens because they are stronger, thereby becoming savage masters instead of kindly allies? It is necessary. And wouldn't a really good education endow them with the greatest caution in this regard? But surely they have had an education like that. Perhaps we shouldn't assert this dogmatically, Glaucon. What we can assert is that what we were saying just now, that they must have the right education, whatever it is, if they are to have what will most make them gentle to each other and to those they are guarding. That's right. Now, someone with some understanding might say that, besides this education, they must also have the kind of housing and other property that will neither prevent them from being the best guardians nor encourage them to do evil to the other citizens. Well, that's true. Consider, then, whether or not they should live in some such way as this, if they're to be the kind of men we described. First, none of them should possess any private property beyond what is wholly necessary. Second, none of them should have a house or storeroom that isn't open for all to enter at will. Third, whatever sustenance moderate and courageous warrior athletes require in order to have neither shortfall nor surplus in a given year, they'll receive by taxation on the other citizens as a salary for their guardianship. Fourth, they'll have common messes and live together like soldiers in a camp. We'll tell them that they always have gold and silver of a divine sort in their souls as a gift from the gods, and so have no further need of human gold. Indeed, we'll tell them that it's impious for them to defile this divine possession by any admixture of such gold, because many impious deeds have been done that involve the currency used by ordinary people, while their own is pure. Hence, for them alone among the city's population 
it is unlawful to touch or handle gold or silver. They mustn't be under the same roof as it, wear it as jewelry, or drink from gold or silver goblets. In this way they'd save both themselves and the city. But if they acquire private land, houses, and currency themselves, they'll be household managers and farmers instead of guardians, hostile masters of the other citizens instead of their allies. They'll spend their whole lives hating and being hated, plotting and being plotted against, more afraid of internal than of external enemies, and they'll hasten both themselves and the whole city to almost immediate ruin. For all these reasons, let's say that the guardians must be provided with housing and the rest in this way, and establish this as a law. Or don't you agree? I certainly do, Glaucon said. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, t'will be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right. <laughs>